Not on. Ah, oh, there we go. <laughs> Thought maybe I did something wrong on my end. Good morning. Again, welcome. We're going to get started. Y'all remember the story? You remember where we left off last week? Review real quickly. So, <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He told Jonah to go, and how did Jonah respond? No, some of you are shaking your heads. No. <laughs> Literally, right? He ran. He ran. He bought passage on a ship. He went to sea. Storm came up. Uh, cargo thrown overboard. Sailors came to him and they said, what do we do? And he said, you're going to have to throw me over. So they tried everything else first, right? Because they didn't want to have blood on their hands. So they tried to row to shore. It didn't work. They prayed. Nothing happened. So they asked the Lord, forgive us, Lord, for what we're about to do. And they threw Jonah overboard, and immediately, Scripture says, the waters became still. Jonah was taken by a fish, some kind of fish. We don't know if it was a whale or something, but I love that graphic. I, loved, I was about to get up and speak, and that graphic came up, and Lydia said, poor little Jonah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he wasn't so poor, was he? He was in that mess precisely because he disobeyed the Lord. So we're going to move from last week's disobedience and see this week what obedience looks like. So let's read. Uh, I want to read the last verse of uh, chapter 1. Then we're going to read chapter 2. And then we're going to move forward from there. It says, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me and the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought me life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And then what happened? The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You know, I mentioned last week, it's funny, we use stories like, Noah and the ark and Jonah and some of those to kind of paint toddler rooms and children rooms. The, the Jonah story, the Noah story, those are terrifying stories. Has anybody ever found themselves in, in this kind of imagery? From the depths of the grave, I called for help. You hurled me into the deep, the heart of the seas. The current swirled about me. The waves and breakers swept over me. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Anybody else besides Lydia ever felt like that? And I'll tell you her story. Daniel's felt that before. Karen, Terry, oh, that's not Karen. That's, uh, that's Louise. Hey, Karen's over here. <clears throat> From a distance. <laughs> it's the hair. You're right. Lydia uh, has always wanted to go whitewater rafting. And we finally went two years ago on the Clark Fork. Is it the Clark Fork? Or the, it ends up being the, coming to Columbia, right? Through Alberton Gorge. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Everybody's like, you go to Montana, there's a couple things you do. You hunt, you ski, you fish, you whitewater raft. So we finally got to do it. It was horrible. <laughs> Can you imagine you want to do something your whole life and then you do it and it's horrible. She got bucked out of the boat in this rapids section and ended up under the boat. It wasn't seaweed wrapped around her head. It was like the boat wrapped around her head. Our guide, who is a really good friend of ours, he's a, a church planting guy, kind of like he does like John Yee's job, but he does that in Montana. When he gave us the briefing at the beginning, he said, 
never ever jump out of the boat after somebody else, which was really good advice. Because you know what happens to the people that go after the people that fall in? They usually die, right? If, if somebody's drowning at sea, people swim out to them, that person's saved, but the people that try to go save them, they die. And so Lydia's in the water, she's screaming, Michael's like, stay in the boat, <laughs> throw her the rope. He was like the total voice of calm in this. So we threw her the rope. We couldn't throw the rope far enough because she had already washed too far away. She ended up, we all had life jackets. You put your feet downstream, you lay backwards, you let the rapids carry, you get to a soft, you know, a, a, a stiller area and you swim to the side. Terrifying stuff, right? This is scary stuff. Jonah said, throw me into the seas. And, and in spite of the fact that for the sailors, the seas got calm when he went in, it didn't get better for Jonah, did it? It got worse because he ended up in some kind of sea creature, some kind of giant fish or some kind of whale. Jonah had finally been thrown over and the people in the boat were saved, but it was just beginning for Jonah. And so we see that he is in a place where he can't do anything else but pray. Did you pray at all when you were in the water? (laughs) Did you even have time to pray? She drank, I don't know how much, it felt like an hour. It was like 30 seconds of, of, of terror and then a couple minutes of her swimming to the side and us getting the boat over, picking her up. But she's like, I am never doing this again. This is horrible. I will never do this again. I had a similar experience in a boat. Uh, I didn't get bucked out, but we were in a thunderstorm in the evening on a lake in New Mexico. Still lake, but in the middle of that thunderstorm, it was rock and roll. It's terrifying. So Jonah goes in, it gets better for the guys in the boat, but Jonah's in the water and he's taken by a fish, carried down to the deep uh, where he has some time to think. Y'all know the movie Pinocchio? You remember they were sitting in the fish? I think they had a table and chairs and maybe even a lantern in there, right? If I remember, if I remember correctly. Jonah didn't have any of that stuff. It was just stomach acid and partially digested whatever that fish ate. I mean, it was gross. It was, and we put that on the toddler walls. This is Jonah and the whale right? He was in a really bad spot. I think if he had stayed there any longer than three days, he probably would have been fish dinner. So if you think about it, he was in a pretty bad spot. He really only had two choices, right? Repent or be digested. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, a bad, it was a bad situation. So he repents. He says, what I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And at that point when he admitted to the, to the Lord, I have failed you, the Lord in his providence for some reason decided Jonah needed a second chance. I think when we look at this story, a lot of times we kind of think of this as a story of second chances. And we're going to kind of unpack that in a minute and see what it's really about. But the Lord commands the fish to put Jonah onto the dry land. Why don't we have that picture on the wall? right? A fish vomit. I mean, it, my scripture, I don't know, is anybody else's, what words does it use in yours? Mine says vomited. <laughs> vomited Jonah up onto dry land. I'll put that up on there. Jonah realized he was reaping the consequences of defying God. He called out to the Lord and the Lord gave him another chance. And this is where everything begins to turn around for Jonah, at least in the moment. He had time to think, he had time to repent, and he had time to seek the Lord. Why sometimes when the Lord says, do something, do you not do it? Well, just personally. We talked a little bit about this last week, but but when the Lord says, do this thing, we don't read ahead and find out why Jonah didn't, but what are some reasons you don't, and what are some reasons you think Jonah wouldn't initially do what the Lord said? And it got quiet. Fear. Okay, who's with that one? Fear. It's fearful when the Lord says, go do something. And it's like way outside your comfort zone. It's way outside of of who you think you are or what you think your gifted or skill set or skill level would allow you to do. The Lord says, go do this thing. And you're like, "Mm, I don't know if I can do that. And so there's fear. What other kind of things? Disagree? You, 
You disagree with God. Anybody ever do that? That's dangerous. <laughs> you, no, that can't be right, Lord. You want me to do what? No. What else? He hated, well, now, see, you're giving away the rest of the story. He did. He hated the Ninevites. That's what Scripture says. We're going to get to that. You're, that's down the road. <laughs> what else? Discomfort. Discomfort. Oh. I don't like to go there. I don't want to do this. It's going to be uncomfortable. Does that resonate with anybody? I don't want to do it because it might be uncomfortable. I think another one could be lack of faith. Like the Lord says, go do something, and you're like, I'm not sure that can be done. So rather than risk it in faith, I'm just going to kind of hold back. Ever done that? Kind of hold back because you're not quite sure. Maybe, maybe God made a mistake. He picked the wrong person. He should have sent someone else, but he's picked me. Do you remember hearing any other stories like that in Scripture? Moses, perhaps? It's like, surely, Lord, you made a mistake. I, I can't even speak. So that's okay. I'll send someone with you to speak for you. I'm like, oh, dang it. And they come up with a better excuse. <laughs> the Lord is going to choose who he chooses to do the things he wants to do. Another thing, uh, maybe unqualified, right? I think somebody said something similar to that. Have you ever felt like the Lord was telling you to do something and you're like, I just don't know enough yet. I'm just not ready yet. I'm just not prepared enough yet. I haven't studied enough yet. I haven't whatever enough yet to be able to do that. There's a lot of things that get in the way of our obedience. But let's continue. We're going to read Jonah 3 as well today and see what the Lord says here. After Jonah was vomited onto dry land, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Does that sound like the first couple of verses of Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Those sound similar. What happens this time? The first time, but Jonah ran away. This time, Jonah obeyed. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city or a very large city. A visit required three days. It would take three days to, to move through this city, to get the message through the city. At least that's what it's written here in Scripture. God's giving Jonah a second chance. Jonah obeys. Do you think Jonah was integral to God's plan? In other words, could Jonah have just gone into the sea and died and God's plan been miscarried. Was he integral to the plan? I mean, arguably, God could have used anybody he chose, right? That, that's kind of how I see it. But for some reason, when Jonah went in, God wanted him to come back out. He still had a plan for Jonah. He still had a use for Jonah. He still had a, a mission for Jonah. And, and in spite of the fact that Jonah had blatantly said no to the face of the Lord. No, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I'm going to run. I'm going to go to the furthest known place that I can find by ship. The Lord still wants to use him. God could have just used somebody else, but he didn't. For some reason, the Lord really wanted to give Jonah another chance, another shot. Why do you think Jonah didn't go the first time? Now you can answer. He hated Nineveh. Thank you. <laughs> he hated Nineveh. What do you think, here, I want you to think about this. What were some of the costs associated with Jonah not going the first time? What would have been some associated costs for disobedience the first time? Let's yell them out over the fans. And everybody's like, hmm, associated costs, costs. I'll give you an example, then you can start getting the, the minds turning. For Jonah, this one's a simple one. He paid for a trip on a ship he didn't end up getting to take, right? I know, that one's kind of silly, right? He paid for a ship, he paid for a trip, 
money was wasted because he got tossed overboard. What were some other, I know that one's a funny one, but what were some other associated costs of disobedience? For what? <laughs> no, 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 no. Some, some costs, some, some things that were lost, perhaps. Time. That's a good one, right? He was supposed to go. The Lord said to go, and instead he ran. He went to a ship. We don't know how long that trip took. We don't know how long he was on the ship. He was thrown from the ship. He went into the sea. He was in the whale fish three days. So I'm thinking three, four, five days. We don't know how long it took him after he was vomited on the shore to actually get to Nineveh. So there was some lost time. That ever happen in your life where you lose time because of disobedience? It's like the Lord says, do this now, and it takes you a year to learn the consequences of the fact you disobeyed. And now a year later, you're the same place you were a year ago. He said, go, and now you're like, well, now I'm ready to go. You lost time. You lost this, this period of time that could have been used. What about, as opposed to Jonah, what about the people on the ship? What did Jonah's disobedience cost them? You guys remember? The cargo. That's right. Because at some point, before they threw Jonah over, when the storm got bad, that was kind of their, their standard operating procedure was, it's more important to stay alive and keep the ship afloat than it is to deliver the cargo. So at some point, when the storm is bad enough, first step is throw everything off. Right? We see that other places in Scripture. In some places, they, they got rid of the mast. They got rid of the sails. They got rid of everything. It's like, we've got to lighten this thing up to keep it floating. We don't know how much of, of what they got rid of or if they got rid of everything. I mean, they could have thrown over the furniture. Who knows? Jonah's disobedience had an effect on other people. Do you see how that might apply for us in our disobedience? Our disobedience can have an impact and an effect on others. The people of Nineveh, they didn't hear the message in the time they should have. Who, what happened in those four days or five days or seven days? We don't know what transpired. Maybe some people who would have had an opportunity to repent didn't have that opportunity because they died in those seven days. We don't know. We have no idea what the consequences of that disobedience are or were in Nineveh. And then again, he, he just spent three days in a fish, rotting in a cell, basically. I don't know about you, but I, I know some folks that we've been associated with, that we've, we've had as, as friends, great Christian men who found Christ after 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years in prison because of disobedience, because they broke one of the commandments, the command, thou shalt not kill. And they killed somebody, and they went to prison, and they wasted away for a number of years. Our, our, and that's a drastic example. But it happens, doesn't it, that our disobedience costs not only us something, but those we're associated with. When we delay or disobey, there's a cost to others. We get this idea that in life, it's about me. And we make decisions and we decide to obey or not to obey what the Lord says. And we think, how is this going to affect me? How is this going to impact my life? And I don't think we often ask the question, how is this going to affect others if I disobey? I mean, think about it from a parental perspective. And, and I hope that as a parent, you make decisions thinking about, how is this going to affect my spouse? How is this going to affect my children? If you make a bad decision at work and you get fired because you did something wrong, that doesn't just affect you, does it? It affects your spouse. It affects your children. It can affect your children's ability of earning down the road if it's a financial setback strong enough that it, it sets your whole life back. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can really mess up that affect other people. And we get this idea that life is about me because we're selfish, <laughs> right? It's about me. So I get to make this decision for myself whether I'm going to obey or not obey. 
because I'm focused on me and I don't think about those who it's going to affect. What's another associated cost for disobedience? You guys think of any others? I have a couple others written down. A big one. Starts with a T. T R. Trust. Thank you, Michelle. Do you lose trust when you disobey? I mean, think about it in, in human perspective. Uh, husband, wife, or parent-child, or child-parent relationship, there's a, a breach of trust because of a disobedient behavior or action, and there's consequences of that, and those consequences play out, and however that happens, and, and, and hopefully you forgive each other, and things are made right, but but there's this breach of trust, there's this time, there's this rebuilding of trust that has to happen. Have you, have you ever experienced that? It's not necessarily pleasant, is it? Knowing you're forgiven, knowing that you, you've paid for the consequences and they've passed, but there's still this trust gap, there's this breach of trust that you have to, you have to wait through, you have to work through, you have to earn back this trust. There's the trust factor and I think we see this a lot between parents and children. You tell your children, um, I want you to do this, and then they don't do it, and then you're like, okay, you're still my child, I still love you, I forgive you, but I don't trust you in this area, so now I have to watch you a little bit closer. You ever had to say that to a child? As a parent, has your, did your parents ever, as an adult, did your parents ever say that to you? I know mine did. Okay, we don't trust you about this anymore. You burned down the fence in the backyard with gas that was supposed to be for the lawnmower. So now we have to monitor where the gas for the lawnmower is. Even though you mow lawns as a job, we buy the gas, we give you the mower, you go mow and you get to keep the money. Now we have to monitor where, I'm just, this is a hy- this hypothetical. Now we have to monitor where the gas is so you don't burn down a fence again, Right? Yeah, it's just an example. It's just a hypothetical. And you have to build back trust. You have to not burn the fence down for a couple months or maybe even a couple years, right? Before your parents are like, okay, we trust you with the gasoline again, right? I'm just saying. We have to build back trust. And so Jonah is working in that direction in building back trust. Let's read the next two verses, verses 4 and 5. And I love the fact that in Scripture, there's so much in it. Sometimes we're, we're tempted to just read it and say, okay, that was just filler. This first part sounds like filler. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days, Nineveh will be overturned. That sounds like filler on the first day, but that's important. The next verse says, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Do you remember how great or how large a city it said the city was and how many days of a visit it was at least posited that it would take to get this message out? How much was it? Three days. And what happened? On the first day, when he shared the message, it went viral. They didn't have that word back then. I don't know how they did it because they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Twitter. And it was a large city that would take three days of walking through to get a message appropriately distributed. But somehow, on the first day, the first time when Jonah stopped in the temple square or wherever it was he was, whatever part of town, maybe it was the town square, maybe it was the well, we don't know. And he shared the message, turn or burn, literally, right? You ever heard that one? It's a good old Southern Baptist. Your dad probably said that plenty of times, Lydia's father. Turn or burn, get right, get wrong, you know, all those. I don't use those. Well, sometimes. He gave the message and it went viral. And they responded immediately. I love the fact that there's, there's no mistake that those words are in there on the first day. It happened immediately. God gave Jonah a second chance. A guy who had defied him, a guy who had need of a second chance, and, and he used him to deliver news of a second chance, didn't he, to the people of Nineveh. It's dire, people of Nineveh. Do you remember what it said in the very first verse? It's dire. 
the wickedness has come up before me. It was bad enough in Nineveh that God knew about it. I know that sounds kind of strange, but that's what that says at the beginning. The wickedness of Nineveh has come up before me. Go and tell them what I want you to tell them. And notice that while he said a proper visit took three days, that message moved quickly. He was obedient, and it moved fast. Let's continue. Six through nine, it says, when the news reached the king of Nineveh. He rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the kings and the noble, the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let him give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. The king and the people responded to God and his message that was delivered through Jonah, and they responded immediately. Their response is interesting. Um, I don't know about you, but when I'm disobedient and I go before the Lord and I repent or I, I apologize, or I ask for forgiveness and he forgives me, I don't often change my clothes. I don't put on sackcloth. You all familiar with sackcloth? We don't really call it that. I think the closest thing akin to sackcloth we have now is probably burlap. Anybody ever dealt with burlap? It's itchy stuff. It's itchy stuff. In fact, I, I know this from experience. I grew up in New Mexico and uh, while it's not widely known as cotton country, we did grow cotton in the part of the New Mexico that I grew up in. They would harvest the cotton, they would put it in bales, they would wrap it in burlap, at least in that day. I think they still they wrap it in something else now. That's neither here nor there. And they would stack them out in these fields, stacks and stacks, two bales, three bales high. For some reason, they would do like one bale and then two bales and three bales. It was perfect for climbing on. And they would stack them in these labyrinthic fields. And my friends and I would go out and we would play on these. And the security didn't like that because they didn't want somebody to get killed by a falling bale. So every time we would go, there would always be security out there trying to shoo us away. Maybe they didn't try hard enough to catch us or not, but we could always avoid being caught in these labyrinths. We'd had our bikes, we'd climb on the bales, we'd get up on top, we'd see them coming, we'd jump down onto the low bales, get on our bikes, ride to another park, climb up again. Hey, where's security? By the end of the day, we were itchy. We never did catch the bales on fire, so don't worry, there was no gasoline. That was, that's a different story. But by the end of the day, I was itchy. Have you ever spent, has anybody ever done that? Am I the only person that's ever played in, in cotton bales? At least the only person here. Itchy stuff, um, kind of like working with fiberglass all day in short sleeves. You know, at the end of the day, you're like, it was bad. You're itchy. So these folks, before the Lord, are going to repent, and they do it by changing their clothes, by becoming uncomfortable before the Lord. Isn't that an interesting, I'm not saying that, that we should necessarily adopt this, but there's something interesting here about the way the people of Nineveh repented before the Lord. It wasn't an easy, I'm sorry. It was a sincere, I'm sorry, they, they changed their clothes. They put on itchy clothes. They sat down in the dust or in the ashes, it says. And in fact, they were so repentant that they went out and dressed their animals. I don't know about you, but I've never done that before. Maybe some of you have. You have little sweaters or stuff for your pets. But they were so repentant before the Lord. They dressed themselves in sackcloth. They dressed their animals in sackcloth. They said before the Lord, no eating for a period of time. We're going to fast. We're going to be as uncomfortable, literally as uncomfortable as they can be. And we talked about going camping recently uh, in, in, in a past Sunday. You ever gotten ash from the fire pit on you while you're camping? This stuff's gross. These guys are sitting in dust, ashes, itchy sackcloth. They've had to fool around dressing their animals. All to say before the Lord, we repent. We're sorry. I'm not saying we should do that, but I think there's something there for us about how to repent. 
It's not simple. It's not easy. It's not just a, I'm sorry. There's, there's something more to it. I think we're going to have to think that one through personally. What does it really mean for me to go before the Lord and ask to be forgiven and to repent? And how do I really do that? And what attitude do I take with me when I do that? What's my mental attitude? Am I just doing this? I'm sorry, God, to get out of the way so I can feel better about myself, feel better about the day or the week. Am I sincere in my repentance before the Lord? It says the king and the people responded. Verse 10 of chapter 3, it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. You know, there had to be a chance. The king must have been thinking, this guy's been sent by the Lord. There must be a chance. Perhaps if we repent, maybe the Lord will relent. It it even said that in the scripture, right? Otherwise, why would he have sent Jonah to begin with? He would have just lightning bolt, we're done. Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't send anybody to Sodom and Gomorrah first. He just destroyed it, right? He would have just destroyed Nineveh, but he sent Jonah. So the people thought, okay, there must be something to this. Let's repent and see if the Lord will relent. And then he did. So what are some things we learn here? We kind of unpack the end of this passage. Jonah was usable after he became obedient and repentant, right? Right? When the Lord asked him to go, go and do this thing I've set out before you, and he said no, and he left, he was unusable. The Lord could have been done with him at that point, but he wasn't. He gave him another chance, and he called him back, and he said, okay, I'm going to give you some temporary imprisonment so you can think about it, Jonah. Do you want to come back? Do you want to repent? Do you want to be used? He was working on Jonah's attitude. I told you this This. This story has a surprising ending. We'll get to the surprising ending part next week. But for now, I want us to understand the Lord still wanted to use Jonah. Could have used anybody else. Could have said, okay, Jonah, here's your chance. Oh, you're not going to go. I'm going to send this other guy. The guy we don't know his name. We don't know who he is. God didn't have to send him. It might be that God wants to use you in your broken state to accomplish something for him. It might be that you're in this similar kind of state. You have disobeyed somewhere, sometime in the past, in the present. The Lord has said, do this, go here, talk to these people, um, give this to this person, pick up and move to this place, whatever it is. He said, go do this thing in my name. And you've said, nah, I'm not going to do that. And maybe you're in that state and you're like, I don't feel like I'm usable to God. And you kind of look back and and maybe you can identify there's that point where I got stuck in my walk with him because I quit following him when I said no. And maybe that's a point you need to come back to today and say, okay, Lord, that point, I see that point. You've reminded me of this place in my life where I disobeyed you. Forgive me because God wants to use you again. God wants to use all of us, and He has something for all of us to do. Remember, we talked a couple weeks ago that it it says in Scripture that He has good works laid out for you to do if you're His in Christ. He he predetermined them. He predesigned them, and He set them out there, and He said, okay, at the point in time when Mariana, did I say your name right? Mariana? Marina. I'm getting my two M's mixed up. Marina. At the point in time when Marina comes to faith in Christ, I have something for her to do. And you need to get there and you come to faith in Christ and you're like, wow, God has something for me to do. And you go and you do it. And that's true for each of us. He has something for you to do and he has it laid out and designed for you in front of you. Don't allow your sinfulness or your disobedience or your past mistakes to rule you unusable. We all have stuff. We all have mistakes. We all need a second chance. But this idea of second chance, I kind of want to talk about it in a minute because I think sometimes we misuse this idea. And maybe even though we call God a God of, you ever heard him call that a God of second chances? Maybe even though sometimes we, we call him that. Has anybody ever heard that? Maybe that's 
a misnomer. Maybe that's not really true. Maybe it's not about second chances. Because listen, if you give a five-year-old a calculus test, you say, okay, you've got an hour to finish this. They sit down five-year-old. Anybody had ever been five <laughs> or had a five-year-old? Has anybody ever taken calculus? How about that? <clears throat> I never have. Abby's taken it a couple times, right? You loved it. It was awesome. Give a five-year-old a calculus test, what happens? They bomb it, right? Uh, arguably, they, they would get nothing right. Say, okay, five-year-old, tomorrow I'm going to give you a second chance. Next day comes, I sit down, here's another calculus test. You got a second chance. What are they going to do? They're going to bomb it, <laughs> right? Do you see the enormity of that? We don't need a second chance. And the toddler doesn't need a second chance. The toddler needs somebody who knows calculus. We don't need a second chance. We need a savior. It's something wholly different than a second chance. And I think sometimes we get, we get hung up in this idea here in Jonah that it's a story about a second chance, but it's not really a story about a second chance. Because second chances lead to third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and sixth chances because we're still relying on ourselves and we need to be transformed in order to serve the Lord. And a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance is not going to transform us. But a Savior can transform us. A Savior can change our very being and our very nature to become something wholly different. I'm going to read a couple. These aren't going to be on the screen, but they're in your Bible, so you can look at them. Romans 7, in 14, <clears throat> Paul says this, We know the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I do, I do what I hate. He says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, I am no longer myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Does that sound like the five-year-old with the calculus test? They want to pass it, yeah. Well, what five-year-old doesn't want to please the person who's given them some, yeah, I want, to, I want to pass that test, but I can't. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do, I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. You ever said that about yourself? I wonder if Jonah felt like that in the whale. We'll find out. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? From this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm going to read another passage in a moment out of Romans 3. Paul sums up the human experience so well, doesn't he? This thing that I know I should do, this thing that I want to do, this thing that God has told me to do, and I know I should do, that thing, I don't do it. And we look at Jonah and we're like, we're surprised. Well, why would Jonah do that? I'm, oh, I'm better than Jonah. I would do what, if the Lord said, go do this, I would do it, right? But we don't do it. Because we need a Savior. We need a, a, a complete transformation. We need somebody else 
calling the shots in our lives, directing, guiding. We need the Spirit of God living within us, the Holy Spirit speaking to us, directing us, guiding us, and leading us that we might somehow please God. I want to read out of uh, Romans 3, starting in verse 9. It says, what shall we conclude then? This is Paul continuing. He says, are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. It is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands and no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of the vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now... A righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who have believed. We, we don't have that righteousness before God. We don't have that even ability to do what's good and right, save a relationship with God. So I'm just going to challenge you that when we think about and when we read Jonah in the future and we think about needing a second chance, or I need another chance, and I know we probably all say this, just need another chance. We don't need another chance. We need a Savior. If you already have Christ as a Savior today, maybe you just need to turn to Him and say, your will. Once again, go to Him and say, you know what, Lord, whatever you say. When he looks at you, he sees Christ because Christ is in you and Christ has saved you. And we still battle that sin nature, wanting to do our own thing. But maybe we just need to go before him today and say, Lord, you know what? I, I, you know the battle in me. Become again the righteousness in my life. Save me once again. You know, Scripture says work out your salvation. It's not like you can lose it. And, and, and Christ keeps it, but he says, work it out. It's a continuing process. It's not like, hey, one day I got saved, now I'm good. We could fall into that trap with Jonah, couldn't we? Because we could, we could look at Jonah and say, you know what? I can pretty much do whatever I want and mess up because God's the God of second chances, and he'll forgive me, and he can still use me later. Is that a good way to go into it? Everybody's like, uh, no. The answer is no. It's not. We don't have the Jonah escape clause in our back pocket, right? It's like, oh man, if I mess up bad enough, I can just fall back on the Jonah escape clause. God used Jonah again after he messed up, so he'll use me after he messed up. It may be true in some instances. There may be things that we could do that would bar us in the future of doing certain things. There are certain things a pastor could do. There are certain things uh, a follower of Christ could do that, that people would say, okay, you can't, you can't work. For instance, we're going to have a children's meeting after this. There are certain things you could do in a church with a child, and the church would say, you know what? You can't come here anymore. You can't teach children anymore. You can't be the pastor anymore. I mean, there's things that could happen. There's consequences, and there's, there's ramifications for our choices and our decisions. We need a Savior, one who changes us holy, W-H, and makes us holy, H-O-L-Y, and changes us from within and makes us usable. So maybe you've trusted Him before. Today's the day to come back and say, you know what, Lord? Again, I'm just going to come before you. I'm going to be the living sacrifice Paul talks about in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to come before the Lord. I'm going to say, Lord, okay, I'm, again, I'm a living sacrifice. Use me in any way you want to. And be prepared to say yes. Don't pull a Jonah. That's why we entitled this, pat, this, this, this message, 
don't be Jonah. There's some things about Jonah that are good. But wait till we get to next week. <laughs> and we'll see what happens. Maybe today you're like, okay, I've never trusted the Lord. I've never come to that place in my life. I'm still relying on my righteousness. I'm trying to do things uh, in, in the cosmic scale. If I do enough good, then I'll be okay. Then I'll outweigh the bad and everything will be all right. There's no cosmic scale. There's not. There's only a one righteousness before God, and that's Christ. The only way we can have that relationship with God restored that was broken in the garden once again is to come to Christ honestly and admit you're broken. I'm broken. I've sinned. I want to sin again. I'm like Paul. I know what's good. I want to do what's right. I know how to do what's right, but I do what's wrong. God, save me. Hold me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Hold me close. Teach me how to walk in your ways. Teach me how to be your, your usable disciple. Somebody who you can direct and guide who will be obedient to step out and do what you say to step out and do. And if you want to do that today and you've never done that before, you just go before God in the quietness of your own heart and say, Lord, I've sinned. I failed you. I failed to live up to your standard. I can't do it. If Paul couldn't do it, none of us can do it. I always look at Paul as like the super, the super apostle. I can't do it, God. I need you. Save me. Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Place your Holy Spirit in me. Claim me as your own and then use me as you will to bring glory to yourself and to bring your message to the nations. That's really the, the, the role of a person who follows Christ. Remember, Christ gave the apostles their walking papers, and he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's us. That's what we should be doing, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded. That's our, raw, that's our job. That's our role. When we come to faith in Christ, that becomes our job, our walking papers. How many of us are pulling a Jonah on those? Go make disciples? Mm, I'm not really good at that, God. I don't know enough yet, God. I didn't go to seminary, God. I haven't read my Bible enough yet, God. Can't do that. Baptize them? I don't know. That's the pastor's job. Guess what? Anybody can baptize somebody. It doesn't say in Scripture that there's any qualifications for who can baptize who. It doesn't matter. You can do that. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptize, teach them. Ooh, teaching, that's hard. But we're all supposed to do that in some way. Parents, teach your children, right? A lot of times we get stuck in that the qualification stuff in Scripture where it says, you know, there's the deacons and then there's the elders and the elders are given to teach and then we have the Ephesians passage. God gives some to be pastors, teachers, and, and so on and so forth. And we get stuck in those and we think those things are someone else's job. Well, how do you think the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists and the apostles and the prophets and all those guys, how do you think those guys, do you think they just one day just woke up and they're like, blah, started teaching. It was maybe a couple of them. I mean, Paul went to school for years before he started teaching. He was like this super theologian, right? But it doesn't say, go therefore and study at seminary and show yourself approved to the church and sit under a pastor for 10 years and then go make disciples and baptize and teach. It just says go. So go now with what you have, what you know, and share with somebody, talk to somebody, build a relationship with somebody, and begin telling them, hey, here's the Christ that died for me, and here's what he's done in my life. Here's my story. That's the easiest way to start. Say, here's my story. Here's what Christ did for me. And people in this room have amazing stories. I've been kind of asking, you know, one by one as I've kind of gotten to know people, tell me your story. Amazing stories about how Christ reached out and took hold of them and called them to his own. Share that story with somebody this week.
Even if it's like Lydia's story. I think Lydia sometimes, she was five, seven. Seven, when she came to faith in Christ. She tells the story. I should let you tell it, but you can tell it some other time. (laughs) I'll tell it. Permission granted. She always says, you know, because she was a pastor's kid, she was, her mom was in labor on Sunday morning, and she always says, I waited until after dad was done with the sermon before went into labor. <laughs> so she's been in church her whole life. And you would think that would be a boring testimony, but it's not. Each of us have a story to tell. And when God appoints you to tell that story to somebody, that story's going to resonate with them, even if you think it's lame. <laughs> Even if you think it won't, it will. Because God's going to appoint that person that you talk to. I'm going to finish this up next week. The exciting conclusion of Jonah. But today, come before the Lord and make it right. If you have been disobeying, come back. Don't be Jonah in the whale. Just imprisoned and waiting. Find release today and become usable again. And if you don't know him, now is the time just to go in prayer to him and say, Lord, save me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message that you're laying out in Jonah for us. I pray that we will take it to heart, that it will continue to transform us in such a way that we become even more usable to you Lord, that when you say, go, we go without hesitation, even if it's scary, even if it takes more faith than we have currently, even if it takes what seems like more ability than we have, Lord, we go. Lord, you promised us in your scripture to fill in the blanks when we don't even know what to say. Why don't we trust you in that? To step out to have these gospel conversations with our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and just begin to let your light shine in our lives instead of being fearful, instead of being afraid, Lord. Make us bold. Lord, we thank you for the message that you've given us today through the book of Jonah. Pray that we take it to heart and that we live obediently for you in Jesus' name.